Hi, this is Nathan, and you're listening to a Public Church Podcast. We want to make you aware of our schedule during the holiday season. We will have a Christmas Eve gathering on Tuesday, December 24th at 5 p.m. Then on Sunday, December 29th, we will have no gatherings as we take a week of rest. Our regular Sunday schedule will resume January the 5th with gatherings at 9, 10, 30, and 12. As always, we'd love to connect with you on social media at A Public Church, or you can visit our website, publicchurch.com. Thanks for listening. Now, I definitely recognize that there are about 1,000 different places you guys could be today in the holiday season, or you could just be sleeping to prepare for all the 1,000 places you have to go. So seriously, thank you, thank you, thank you for being with us this morning. It means a ton to us. And we are starting our Christmas series, but as we do, we've actually been preparing for this series all year because our prayer for this year as a church has been Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. So if you're a guest, if you're new, know that a whole lot of us have been praying this prayer once a week, every week for the whole year. And in that prayer is our phrase for the year, immeasurably more. And it simply means this, that God's plans are greater than our dreams and go far beyond us. So this whole year, we've been asking God to do immeasurably more. And now we get to the Christmas season and we see God doing immeasurably more. In fact, in the original Christmas story, it is the story of the impossible. I mean, think about it. An old barren woman gets pregnant. And then a teenage virgin shows up pregnant. An angel shows up to announce both of these pregnancies. This is crazy. And then not only that, Joseph, who's going to marry this teenage virgin who's now pregnant, he's going to divorce her quietly. But while he's asleep, an angel appears to him and says, no, marry her anyway. And then throughout the story, he has more dreams. Her angels show up and direct him to locate and relocate. I'm just wondering, did anybody go to sleep last night and have an angel show up in your dream? Okay, I didn't think so. So this story is crazy. And then these shepherds are just in this field, and just like, boom, all of a sudden, there's just this choir of angels singing to them. Man, it's like angel overload. And so maybe you're here, and you struggle to believe the supernatural. And so when you approach stories like this, you're like, ah, I I just don't know. And and if that's you, I just want to say, if you're listening, watching, in the room, like, I get it. If you haven't grown up around these stories or if you struggle to believe the supernatural, this can definitely be angel overload. And look, for those of us who follow Jesus, maybe those of us who have read these stories and heard these stories our whole lives, could we at least begin to empathize with people who struggle to just believe angel, 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 angel? <laughs> could we respect their difficulty and give them space to explore this? And so look, if you're here and maybe you struggle with this, I just wanna ask this simple question. If there is a God, Don't we want him to be able to do the impossible? I mean, what good is a God who operates in the same natural constraints that we do? Think about that. I don't think that's a God that we want. So I think if there's a God, we're rooting for him to be able to do the impossible. So wherever you're at, whether you embrace these stories or whether you kind of push back, I just invite us to go on a journey called impossible where we look at the God of the impossible. This journey is gonna culminate on Christmas Eve at our Christmas Eve gathering. Guess what day that's gonna be? December 24th, you guys are so sharp. I knew the 1030 is with it today. It's gonna be on December 24th, 5 to 6 p.m. We did have to adjust our plans, and this is my fault for this adjustment, but we're not gonna be able to have childcare. But parents, if you are bringing your kids, we will have our green room available with the TV up there. So if they get a little rowdy and you wanna take them out, then the green room will be a place where you could go still participate, but be in that space. 
But I'm so excited about culminating this series on Christmas Eve because we're gonna get to hear a story that doesn't have a pretty bow on top, a story that is unfinished, but yet a story where God is still doing the impossible. So I should invite us to go on this journey and see the God of the impossible. And as I began to, as I was studying for this and reflecting on where we're at as a church, I began to realize that this story isn't just filled with impossibilities, but our lives are filled with impossible scenarios. So I sat down and I just wrote a list of people I know, and there's no way I can know everybody. So I don't know all your circumstances, and that's not even possible for me. But just think about those of you guys who I do know in situations that you're facing that just seem like there's really no hope. Some of us are sitting here going through financial circumstances where the bills just seem to keep piling up and piling up and they're unforeseen. And you're like, I don't even know how I'm gonna get out from this mountain of bills. Others of you guys are facing a holiday without a loved one for the first time. And there's no joy for you in Christmas right now because you just miss that person. Others of you are facing health circumstances and and crisis that they're not getting better. In fact, they seem to be getting worse. There's people in our church family who have job difficulties and it seems like there's no resolution in place. And other people get jobs and this works out for them, but it's just like the miracle, the breakthrough, it's just not happening for us. And even if you just walked in here today for the first time, chances are you can relate to one of those circumstances or you can at least back up on your life and go, yes, I am facing some impossible circumstances. So when I stand up here and say, God wants to do immeasurably more, he has immeasurably more planned for you, Do you believe it? Do I believe that we have a God who can do the impossible, who has planned immeasurably more for us? So today, we're gonna pick up in the Christmas story, actually before any babies are born, (laughs) we're gonna begin in Luke chapter one, verse five. And I just invite us, let's bring our hopes and fears. Let's bring our dreams, our disillusionment. Let's bring our wins and our scars to this story. And let's look at a God who can do and who does the impossible. So as you're going there in your Bible or Bible app, it is absolutely vital that we understand that in this story, it's about real people, real people with emotions, with struggles, with situations just like us. We can't say, oh, they're different. No, they're just like us. And they are facing an impossible situation. Luke chapter one, verse five. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now, if you struggle believing the supernatural, if you struggle believing what's being written, know this, Luke is writing a research paper. In fact, if you read verses one through four, he lets us in on his process. So you may struggle to believe it, but just know this, Luke believed it. As he thoroughly researched all the circumstances around Jesus' life, he says, I wanna give you an account so you can know with certainty who Jesus is is. And so this is not a way to begin a legend or fairy tale. You you don't begin a legend or fairy tale by saying, hey, here's the historical context in the reign of King Herod. And by the way, for all the Jews who are reading this, here's the Jewish context, the ancestry. This isn't how you begin a fairy tale. He's giving us his research paper and he's introducing the main characters, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And he goes on and says this about them. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So righteous means they are lined up with God's way of doing things. Blameless means they're above reproach. Have you ever been there? You may not wanna admit this, but have you ever tried to criticize someone and you can't think of anything mean to say? 
Like they're just above reproach. They're not perfect, but when they make mistakes, they own it and you're just like, oh, this is so frustrating. This is Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're blameless. They're righteous. They're in line with what God is doing, but they're facing the impossible. Verse seven, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now look, in our culture, barrenness is a huge burden to carry. Same was true in this time period. In fact, barrenness was often viewed as a curse, a tragedy. It was a reason for divorce. And, and this doesn't even make any sense because we know scientifically that it could be the man's fault, yet in this culture, the man could divorce his wife because she can't have a kid when it's actually his fault. I mean, this is crazy. But it is a tragedy. It's a curse. They are criticized and looked down upon because of the fact they don't have kids. And it says they're old, like it's over. Hope has died. They're not going to have any children. And it says in verse 8, now while he was serving as priest before God, while his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So Zechariah and Elizabeth, they are devout people just doing their everyday routine, doing what they're supposed to do. And suddenly, Zechariah gets this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, like thinking about the number of priests, the fact that he's gonna get to go offer incense at this particular altar to worship in this very special way. This is like once-in-a-lifetime. So he gets this incredible opportunity. And verse 10 says, and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So everybody's around. Due to this detail, we know it's about 3 p.m. in the afternoon, and he gets to go in and have this special opportunity to worship with God. Verse 11, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. Now, anytime an angel appears to somebody in either the Old Testament, the first portion of the Bible, the New Testament, the universal response is ah, fear. Like that is what happens, which means angels probably aren't fluffy. They're probably fierce, but it makes sense. It makes sense. Look, if these are the, the troops of God, and if our God is big enough and strong enough to do the impossible, they need to be fierce because they're doing his work. So the angel's probably sitting there going, look, I'm not fluffy, I'm fierce, not to scare you, but to remind us how big and powerful the God that we serve is. And so the angel says to him, what every angel has to say, it's like, no, okay, here's the time. Do not fear. I mean, they all have to say this. He says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. This is huge. Do not miss this. For your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. The angel establishes, look, our God is not a God of fear. Our God is a God of the impossible. So don't fear. Know that God is doing something that you did not think could ever happen. And he says this line that we can't miss, your prayer has been heard. And maybe that's all some of us want for Christmas. It's not our two front teeth, <laughs> but it's just for our prayers to be heard. To know that even if the answer isn't what we want it to be, just to know that God has heard our prayer. So he tells Zechariah, God hears you. And then he goes on to say this. You will have a son. You will call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice 
at his birth. To me, this is one of the biggest understatements in all of scripture because he says, hey, you thought it was hopeless. You thought you'd never have a kid. And just let, just let you know, whenever your wife gets pregnant and has a baby, you're gonna have joy. It's like, duh, like this is a miracle. Like, no, no, okay, I get it, we're gonna have joy. But it's not just joy because she's pregnant and they have a baby, it's joy because of John's special purpose. And so he begins to talk about that purpose as verse 15 continues. He must not drink wine or strong drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Look, there's so much here. We could just camp out here for like an hour and talk about all the things and all the special role that John has, but we're just gonna pick one. It says, he will turn. Here's what that means, that he will bring back people to God, people that felt lost to God, people that felt far from God. The message version says, he will kindle devout understanding among hardened skeptics. That's a pretty awesome role in God's story, isn't it? This is what their baby boy is going to do. So of course, Zechariah says, "Woo, let's go, come on. Maybe not, okay? Here's his response in verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Now, maybe we can try to go, ah, let's, let's put some pretty coloring on that. A way to understand the Bible is to look at multiple translations. So if we look at different translations of his question, how shall I know this? How can I be sure this will happen? How can I be sure of this? And in the message paraphrase, do you expect me to believe this? He does not believe the angel, okay? He is filled with doubt. His response isn't, woo, I've been waiting on this. It's like, no, no, no. Have you met my wife? Have you seen her? She's old. Never say that man about your wife, okay? I think that's why this was left on the narrative because it was like, we're just gonna save you know, him. But, but he's like, this isn't happening. This is impossible. And he has a great reason. Just like when God tells us something and we tell him, no, it can't be possible. We have great reasons, don't we? We have logical reasons. The impossible cannot occur. That's why it's called the impossible. So he says, look, this is not happening. And then as we read the Bible, we can't miss the humor. Because what's gonna happen next, the angel is clearly frustrated. And I think he just puts his hands on his hips. He's like, let me tell you something. And he says this, I think just hands on his hips, says, I am Gabriel. I'm Gabriel. You know where I came from? I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to you to spring you this good news. That's real, Zechariah. I think, again, there's some stuff left out. And behold, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So Gabriel's just frustrated. Did you know where I came from? God's presence to give you good news. And here you are responding like this. Oh. And there's consequences for Zechariah. But notice this. This is not a story of an angry God who punishes the doubters. This is a story of a doubter who still gets the miracle. This is a story of a guy who asked the wrong question in the wrong way. He's like, I don't believe this. I don't really think it can happen. And God says, I'm still gonna use you. I'm still gonna give a breakthrough. I'm still gonna do the impossible. Your doubt, my doubt, does not disqualify us from a role in God's plan. And that's great news, isn't it? That is so good to know. Now, we do need to understand that our doubt, our response could lessen our experience in God's plan because there is a consequence here. He's mute. 
He, he doesn't get the fullness of all the experience, but he still gets the miracle. And when he comes out, again, I think this is pretty funny. So he's mute. And the next verse says, and the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And we can read that and think, man, they're so holy. They're like, man, he must be worshiping. No, they're hungry, people. It's three o'clock. They can't leave and go home and eat dinner until he comes out. So they're like, we're hungry. Get the guy out of here. What's taking so long? And so he finally comes out. When he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. Can you imagine trying to explain that you saw a fierce angel with words? And this is a guy that can't speak. How do you describe this? I mean, this had to be hilarious. They're like, worst game of charades ever. I mean, it's like, what is going on here? And so finally they figure out, we have no idea what he's saying. He saw something, okay? He saw something. Verse 23, when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. The angel said to Zechariah, God has heard your prayer. And Elizabeth said, God's not only heard us, but he's seen us. That word means not a passing glance. It means that God has noticed us, that he has shown concern about our specific circumstances. And what was true of Elizabeth What's true of Zechariah is true of us. What a story. This is a story of the God of the impossible, a God who did immeasurably more in their lives, even when it looked hopeless. So what do we do? How does this story of the God of the impossible intersect the situations, the circumstances in our lives that look like nothing's gonna happen? And let's just be honest. In the time we've been in here, nothing's changed in our circumstances. Can we admit that? Like, nothing's changed. We didn't walk in here and then suddenly we're going to walk out. It's very likely, like 99% sure, true, that, that nothing has changed in what we're going to walk out of here and face. So how does this story not just make us feel good and go, oh, good for you, Zachariah, Elizabeth, I love. How does this story impact us? Well, I think first we've got to get over our initial response. Our initial response is typically criticism, at least mine is. I'm like, Zachariah. Come on, man. An angel shows up and you're like, how will this be? How can you be sure of this? Like, what's your deal? And then next week, as we pick up the story and get to Mary's response, look, there's no good way to spin this as we contrast how Zachariah responded and how Mary responded. Like, it makes him look bad no matter which way you pick it up and turn it. He is filled with doubt. And so we criticize him from a distance. We go, man, you're so terrible. But what if we began to empathize with Zachariah? To empathize means to be able to see and fill the situation from his perspective. What if we saw a man who felt like he'd never overlooked God, but God had overlooked him? What if we saw a man and his wife who were faithful, 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 and yet because God didn't come through, their whole community viewed them as cursed? Ladies, can you imagine carrying that stigma around? Oh, she follows God. See where that's gotten her? No, baby. I'm gonna do whatever I want. I mean, imagine the side conversations that are surrounding them. And then let's begin to own the ways that we're similar <laughs> to Zechariah. 
We can keep him at a distance and criticize, and I think probably the easiest thing to criticize is they didn't believe the angel. We said, man, you didn't believe the angel that came from the very presence of God, but we oftentimes don't believe this book that contains words from the very mouth of God. Louis Giglio says it so well. He says, this isn't just ink on a page. This is God's breath on a page. So sure, we may not have an angel rolling in going, I'm from the presence of God. We have words from the very mouth of God. So if we began to just straight up compare our situation to Zacharias, it's like an angel from God, words from God. We both struggle to believe them, don't we? Suddenly, we're pretty level with him. And we're beginning to soften our criticism. And we soften our criticism, then we're open to this new backdrop that this story gives us, a backdrop through which we can begin to view the circumstances that may not be any different when we walk out, but we can be different when we walk out. And the backdrop begins like this. God's story is bigger than us. Their their waiting was awful. It was so long, but it was just a, a little small image of the waiting of all of humanity and all of creation as they waited on God to come as the savior of the world. There was so much more going on than just their very real, very tough adversity. God's story is bigger than us, yet he invites us in. This is the great news. That yes, God's story is bigger than us, yet he invites us in. In this story, that's really setting the stage for God to come in a body. Like their little boy prepares people for God to show up, for Jesus to come. You don't get any more grand narrative of God than that. But in this huge, bigger than us story, God graciously invites them in. And you know what he does? He invites us in because he wants to write us in. Because he has a role for us in his story. He had a role for them. But we need to know this about the role. Our role will never be the featured and it will never be the forgotten. Oftentimes we wanna be the star. We wanna be the featured. That's Jesus's part. Our role will never be the featured, but we'll also can know we will never be forgotten because God is writing us in. And you know who got this? Who who got this better than, than maybe any of us in the room? The little boy who grew up against the backdrop that God's story is bigger than us, yet he invites us in. This little boy, his name was John. And he grew up, and one day he was being asked, hey, well, what's the deal with you and Jesus? What's the relationship? Is it like competitive? Are you trying to beat out Jesus? And in Matthew chapter three, verse 11, in the message paraphrase, John says this, the real action comes next. The main character in this drama, compared to him, I'm a mere stagehand will ignite the kingdom life within you, a fire within you, the Holy Spirit within you, changing you from the inside out. He gets it. He says, look, Jesus is the main character, but I'm in. I'm a stagehand. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather be a stagehand in Jesus' story than the star of my own. And that's what John says. Hey, God's story, look, this is the backdrop I grew up in. God's story is so much bigger than me, yet he invites me in, he writes me in. I'm not featured, but man, I'm not forgotten. And through that backdrop then, I think we can begin to learn from Zechariah. We can find the good and praise it. And here's the detail that I think we often overlook in the story, is that Zechariah worshiped before the miracle. Zechariah didn't wait on the announcement that he was gonna have a son. 
that the impossible was gonna happen for him to break out and worship. But no, in his everyday routine, he is worshiping God in the middle of his disillusionment, in the middle of his fear, in the middle of what he felt like were shattered dreams, he worshiped. And so perhaps this Christmas, Zachariah could inspire us to do the same. N.T. Wright says it best. I love this quote. He says, God regularly works through ordinary people doing what they normally do, who with a mixture of half faith, can we all say that? Half faith and devotion are holding themselves ready for whatever God has in mind. (laughs) Isn't this good news? that we don't have to get ourselves together and muster up 100% faith, but just with some half faith and just regular devotion in our ordinary lives, man, we position ourselves for God to do the impossible. That is Zachariah's story and it could be ours. So the, the, the action, the challenge is, would we be inspired by him when we say this, this Christmas season and really in every season, let's worship right where we are. Let's worship right where we are. And I mean literally in the 1030. We're gonna have an opportunity to do that before we leave. But also in the circumstance we're in that may not have changed since you walked in this room. Then when we walk out of it, we don't wait for the miracle. We don't wait for the breakthrough. We don't wait for the impossible to happen, but we worship right where we are. And here's what worship is. Worship at its core is our response to God for who he is and what he's done. Here's my issue. Maybe some of you guys can relate. When it seems like God hasn't done anything for me lately, my worship can kind of taper off. A lot of times I place way more value on what he's done, specifically what he's done lately, than I do on who he is. So if you're anything like me, this Christmas season, maybe we should sit down and read the Christmas story and then maybe just keep going through Luke's research paper that he gives us. Because here's what we're gonna see about who Jesus is. We're gonna see a Jesus who noticed the overlook even if we feel like he's not noticing us. We're gonna read about and see a Jesus who healed the lame, healed the blind, healed the deaf, who even raised the dead. And so we can know who he is, even when it seems like, or if the miracle never comes for us. We're gonna see a Jesus who spent time with people who were distant from God. So when we feel distant from God, for whatever reason, we can know, even though it doesn't feel like it, God is pursuing us. And when we feel like no one understands our pain, no one is with us in our pain, we can see a Jesus who went through unimaginable pain for us and know he's with us because he went to the cross for us and he was tortured and he was murdered. And we can't even begin to wrap our minds around it, but we went through all that pain because that was the only way that we could be forgiven of our sins and we could ever enter into a relationship with God. He's pursuing us. He's with us. He's made a way to God for us. And then this next statement, it's not hype. It's not, let's get emotional. I just want us to be very reason, rational, logical filled with this statement. Think about it. What did Jesus do next? And this is a historically verified event. He rose from the dead. He conquered death. So again, not hype, just rational thinking. If Jesus conquered death, is your impossible situation, is my impossible situation bigger than death? If he conquered death, then he can conquer anything. (laughs) And that's why we can worship him right where we are for who he is. And honestly, for what he's done. 
The reality is if Jesus never does anything else for me, he's already done more than I ever deserved and he is worthy of my worship. The same is true for you. If Jesus never does anything else for us, he's already done more than we could ever deserve and he is worthy of our worship. So will we begin to view our circumstances through this backdrop? That God's story is bigger than us, yet he invites us in. There's purpose in our struggle. There's purpose in our adversity. And even when we can't see the purpose, even when we can't feel the purpose, we can still look to that backdrop. We can look to this story of Zachariah and Elizabeth, and we can know that he is with us, that we have an opportunity to worship the God of the impossible. So how can we worship right here where we are? For some of you, if you don't follow Jesus, that first act of worship may be just to go to the back to the prayer team and just tell them, I wanna follow Jesus. That could be your first act of worship ever. And if you wanna go back there, man, take off. If you're watching or listening, you can just email katie at publicchurch.com and our team would love to have a conversation with you about you following Jesus this Christmas season. And then for some of us, maybe we need to go to the prayer team just to begin to crack open our hard shell and maybe it's just the sliver of authenticity. Maybe all you can get out to go to the prayer team is mad pray. Hey, that's okay. Angry, help, whatever it is. But maybe our step is to walk to the back and just, it's not gonna open up everything, but just to open up a sliver and say, I'm gonna begin to let Jesus in to my pain this Christmas season. And for all of us, public worship is gonna come up and they're gonna lead us in a song that's really become an anthem for my life. I think it's an anthem for our house. And it's bigger than I thought by passion. And so we have an opportunity when we're ready just to stand and declare these words, to know that when we lose our voice, he understands us. To know that we can take our hopes and our fears and our doubts and we can throw them all on Jesus because he is big enough. And if you don't feel like you can declare that, then let the rest of us declare it over you in this moment. An opportunity to worship right where we are. But here's the thing, if it's true worship, it's gotta get out of these doors. It's gotta continue beyond just this room. So what does it look like? For us this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow, Tuesday morning, Wednesday night, what does it look like for us to worship right where we are? Maybe it's continuing to read God's word even in the midst of feeling disillusioned. Maybe it's continuing to pray even though all your prayers are angry. Maybe it's saying in this season, I'm not gonna walk away from Jesus' church. I feel like God's walked away from me, but I'm still, I'm not gonna walk away from his church and his people. I'm gonna stay engaged. Maybe it's doing what Zachariah did and simply being excellent in your everyday life. Maybe it's showing up tomorrow and saying, man, I don't like where I'm at, but here's where I am and I'm gonna worship by bringing excellence to my place in life. We get an opportunity to worship right where we are right now against this backdrop. God, his story is so much bigger than us, yet he graciously invites us in. And I pray that this moment of worship would bleed over into our everyday lives. Jesus, I thank you for the story. Wow, what a story. Thank you, first of all, for not disqualifying Zechariah because of his doubt, not disqualifying us. You did the miracle anyway. You're amazing. And I pray that in the midst of circumstances that may not change, 
in the midst of healing that may not come, in the midst of disappointment (laughs) that may not shift, that we'd still begin to worship you right where we are and that worship would begin right now.